0: I'd like to uh, invite Rhonda Pilgrim, the Director of Risk um, Management in the ACT Insurance Authority, um, to unpack risk management for us and to take us through um, some practical uh, work in this space to really get into the methodology of risk management. So please give a warm welcome to Rhonda.
1: Thanks, John. So... Welcome back, everybody. I hope you really enjoyed yesterday's session. Today's session is much more about you working together, you as a Brains Trust solving risk problems. I'm certainly going to guide you through the process, but I really want to hear lots of active table discussions here. As Sean said, this is very much, uh, you know, Chatham House rules. We'll probably have some of um, uh, Sean's team joining you at the tables for the discussions, please do not let that hinder you in any discussions that you're having because those discussions that you have between services are going to be the gold that you take home today, I'm sure. So, what we're going to do this morning, the first session is going to be looking at strategic risk. So, what we're looking at is from a service delivery perspective, what are those things common to your type of service that can be a risk? So that's why you're setting in tables looking at different service types. So I'd really encourage you um, to to work through those uh, strategic risks and discuss how those affect you uh, in your service types. After morning tea... When we come back, I'm going to uh, split the tables quite differently. We're going to focus on uh, the scenarios that I hope you uh, had a chance to read yesterday afternoon or yesterday evening as your little bit of homework. So, I'm going to ask you to choose a scenario and sit at a table based on that. So, that's what we'll be doing um, uh, after morning tea. So, that'll be a much more in depth process. So, strategic risk will We'll take it to the risk identification stage and then in the scenarios we're going to follow right through to those controls and monitoring. So we're going to follow the whole sequence. Does that sort of make sense to everybody? And I'd ask, please, if you can uh, um, put your phones to silent. I know we're all busy. If you have to take a phone call, please take it outside. But apart from that, we'll, we'll get going. So the first thing then... What I'd like you to do in your table groups is just a quick introduction. And this introduction, I want to get you thinking about risk. So, just a very simple, what's your name? What service are you from? And I'd like you to think about a risky thing that you did last weekend or that you might be doing this weekend and just share that with the group. So, I'll just give you a quick example. Rhonda Pilgrim, ACT Insurance Authority, And my risky thing is that I like to go for a run with my dog in the morning at 6am, so it's still semi-dark. I have a very long driveway with two uh, rows of trees in it and it's a dirt driveway with lots of holes. So I've got my headlight on, looking uh, to make sure I don't trip over and as I was running down yesterday morning, I heard this, thump, thump, thump. I looked up and my dog had gone in front of me, flushed a kangaroo out, which was running straight at me. So I jumped left, it jumped right and over the fence. So that's my little risky story. So that's sort of what we're looking for. Just something to think about what's a risky thing that you do with your children, with your activities, et cetera. So I'll just give you five minutes. Just introduce yourselves among your groups, please. I'm going to bring the conversation back together. I hope that gave you a chance to get to know each other and to uh, uh, just start thinking a little bit about risk. Okay, so I just want to spend a few minutes um, revising some of what we did yesterday very briefly. We'll go into it in a lot more detail um, as we go through, but I I will take a step back for a moment and give you a a slight idea of who I am and why I'm here. (laughs) I'll do my introduction, so... So, um, as Sean said, I'm from the ACT Insurance Authority. So, the ACT government has a self-insurance model. That means all of the directorates pay money to the insurance authority and when a claim is required, we as Actia pay out on that claim. The flip side of that is we'd really like the directorates to be good at managing risk so we don't have to pay out so often. So so, uh, my side of um, Actia is responsible for providing um, risk advice, risk tools and risk training to uh, people across ACT government. And so in that capacity, I'm then providing that on to you as service providers to the government. So I hope that makes sense. (laughs) Okay, so, so our recap... Do we remember this model from yesterday? Yep, so essentially what we're going to do today is we're going to spend a bit of time looking at the scope and the context of your centres. And once we've thought about that, we're going to think about that specifically around some of the risk possible risk categories. Then we're going to do a risk identification activity um, for your service areas as I said, then we'll have a break and we'll come back and look at scenarios and then we're going to look at identifying risk in particular activity scenarios and that when you do that, that obviously will become a part of a broader exercise for your service centre. So you may be looking at, you may be the group that's looking at the um, sexualised behaviour, you may be looking at allergies, you may be looking at the outdoor play. Each one of those would be an element of your organisation's risk management activities. So, we'll do an analysis activity. We'll have a look in the scenarios at what's already in place in those scenarios, and then we'll look at what treatments we can put in place, and we'll do some, some discussion about recording and reporting. So, essentially, what we are doing today is going to be running through this whole um, process in, in action, so again my, my recap on, on the context uh, was anyone here not here yesterday can you just identify? okay a um, couple of people all right so I'll just run through this really briefly our context for risk uh, when we're thinking about a risk the context of that risk makes us change how we're going to um, um, how we're going to deal with the risk so, If we decide that we'd like to get to the other side of the road, are we going to run across the road? In the pouring rain, we might run because we want to get there quickly and and keep dry. Uh, We might run across the road because we want to make it to work on time. But if we've got our children with us, if we happen to be wearing stilettos, we may choose not to run across the road We may choose not to run across the road at peak hour because there are way more cars and we'll get hit. We may choose not to run across the road because there's a pedestrian crossing and we could get caught by a policeman. Or we may choose not to run across the road because we know that we're right outside the childcare facility that we work at and the kids are watching us. So all of those choices that we make every day about risk are all about the context in which we're making them. So context works in with our our objectives. If we want to get across the road safely, we probably won't run. But if our objective is to get across the road quickly because we've got a meeting on the other side of the road and we don't want to be late... Our objective has changed and the way we address the risk might change. If our objective is to cross the road compliantly, we are definitely not going to run across the road within 50 metres of a pedestrian crossing with a, um, a policeman watching because we know that's illegal and we're likely to get a fine. If our objective is at all times to set a good example then probably we will not run across the road because we don't want children seeing us doing it and following that bad example. One of the issues for me, I've been in a compliance role for a long, long time and so I'm always aware that other people are watching and any time I see a small child, I will not run across the road and I will go to the pedestrian crossing because I know that children are always watching and me as a compliance person thinks if I can't get other people to... You know, if I can't comply myself, how can I get other people to do the right thing? So that's my, my risk... Um, uh, you know, my risk hat on is I want people to do things compliantly, so I need to do that myself. If we want to stay dry... Again, we're likely to run across the road so we don't get wet. Unless we're my daughter who at age five decided that for some reason, if you run, you get more wet. (laughs) Go figure. She's 20 now and she still does it. (laughs) Okay, so what we're going to look at here, and it's in the first page of your workbooks, or page two, um, is our strategic risk context. So I'm going to let you have about 10 minutes to discuss in your table groups, so what I'd like you to think about for the service type that you have in front of you on the table or if you do happen to have a mixed table, I know we've got to family daycare with a couple of other groups there, you can certainly have a couple of conversations there if needed, but I want you to think about the risks that you have and and uh, that. The middle column there is just some ideas for you. So in the financial space, how is your service funded? And does that make a difference as to what risks might be there financially for you? Um, in the assets space, who owns the assets? In family daycare, obviously, the assets are owned generally by, um, by the carers individually, which is very, very different to a long daycare centre where um, you may, may own the facility. It's very different again to an out of school hours care setting where the school owns a lot of your facilities and you don't have a lot of control. So, when you're thinking about your context, you need to capture some of those things. Your ability to control um, those risks is, is very different in different scenarios. So what I'd like you to do is see if you can think about at least two or three categories that are there and capture something as a group. So you can all write individually on your workbook so you can take it away. And at the end, I'm just going to ask a couple of random people to, to uh, give me some examples. So, so uh, yeah, have a bit of a chat about that, please. Okay, everybody. Uh, just going to bring the conversation back together now so I hope we uh, I hope we found a number of uh, interesting different contexts so I'm just going to ask um, a few people to, to share with us something that they've uh, you know discovered as a really significant risk context for them so would anybody like to share from a financial perspective I know that was the top one on the list. So, for maybe out of our, out of school hours care, what was the main financial piece that we, we captured? Anybody like to share? Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Uh, essentially, the service is just funded through uh, the fees that families pay.
1: Mhm. So, if the families don't turn up because of COVID, that's
3: where waving the or not.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's that's a, a very definite funding challenge. Okay, what about in uh, in family daycare? What have we got there for for a financial um, context?
4: Yeah, so we we um, both family daycare can have different service models where um, educators are self-employed or whether they're actually employed by the scheme. Uh, so for both of us, family daycare educators are self-employed. Mm-hmm. Um, so they uh, pay a levy to the. Uh, the service to be able to support the coordination unit that supports them in their roles. Um, And obviously, if you reduce educators, then you reduce levies, so there's some financial constraints that can happen in the back end. Um, But they are also then responsible as uh, self-employed small business owners to then set their own fees. Um, So sometimes we can have some financial challenges that that come along with that or some, some other risks around reputation um, that come from that financial
1: structure? Uh, interesting. So the reputation is uh, um, if you're if you're providing an overall coordination role but uh, you've got self-employed people underneath, the, yeah, it's it's the uh, coordination group that uh, has the reputational uh, image. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you. Okay. What about in the um, uh, early childhood space, some of the centres? Anyone like to share from that, those groups? I'll
5: go. Thank you. I suppose for me pers- for me personally, because I um, have the centre, I own urban, it's about like, um, me knowing the financial implications are gonna come back on me personal, personally, mm-hmm. if anything happens. Um, I'm probably lucky in the context that I've got a really awesome team and they are very supportive and all understand the financial implications and of the risks associated, if anything went wrong with the centre or mm-hmm. um, the responsibilities, that they all come back on me. So, OK.
1: All right. Thank you. OK, so maybe we look at compliance or regulation. Did anybody have a, a bit of context that they wanted to, to share there? Anyone get down that par in the...
6: <laughs> I suppose certain thing, you know, compliance comes back down to reputation too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going back a few years, you have a situation where an incident happens at the centre that is typically, you know, on nobody's radar. Then all of a sudden something really, really, really bad happens. Then you have media involved and then the sector starts talking and speculations are put through and everything else, and then you go through the compliance part of things to ensure that policies are right and everything else. The flip side of that is that when you have all the families that leave, so then you've got your financials, but then other families are coming in because they're like, well, now that centre is so dang compliant because they've had constant attention, they're less likely to have
1: repeat events. Definitely. So so you have just demonstrated beautifully how lots of risks impact in different areas. And while the original uh, actual event may be fairly small, that snowball effect of people taking their children out of service, affecting our financials. The regulator wants to start looking at you. All of those things line up, so it's like that Swiss cheese model from <laughs> from yesterday. So, yeah, quite often when we look at a risk, there may be m- multiple consequences, and we we need to look at what's the most most probable of those. Okay, thank you. All right. So, who had a um, a people context uh, that they'd like to share?
5: So we spoke, we're all standalone services here in the ACT and we spoke about how our management committee changes each year and how that impacts on us from as a risk because depending from one year to the next, how good your management committee is or isn't.
1: That's a fantastic example. Thank you. Okay. Who had an asset context that they wanted to share? Maybe one of the tables we haven't heard from. Oh, yep, yeah. okay.
4: So we've
3: sort of been discussing um, how we share the spaces with the school um, and restrictions that there might be on using some
1: of those spaces. I think things like that, they're not purpose-built environments. We are stepping into the spaces. Right. So, so when we think about some of, the, um, uh, some of what we learned yesterday about designing our spaces, that's a real challenge in the out-of-school care scenario where here's the school, the school's already got things set up, you can only use what they've already got set up. So that does make, make life a challenge, doesn't it? So, so that context is just so important. All right, so that, that's good. I, I can see you've had some great discussions. So what we're going to move on to is the um, the next piece, our strategic risk identification, so it's the next page in your workbook. So what we're looking at as we walk through this, uh, I'd like you to identify one or two risks for at least two of the uh, context categories that you've got there. So hopefully you'll have four lines on your page. Uh, uh, You've got uh, plenty of room to go down there and we'll carry this activity on till morning tea (coughs) at um, um, 2211 so, um, yeah, essentially what I want you to do is think about the bad thing that happens. Now, I don't want you to get too caught up. Quite often we'll have people say, oh, but that's, that's, um, that's the source. No, it's not a root cause and, and people get a bit confused. So, let's just run through the example that we've, we've got here. So, we've got a child escaping from a centre. That's a bad thing that happens. What are the? Um, how could this happen? What are some of the sources of that? So we could have insufficient educators on site uh, for effective supervision. Uh, our active play options aren't keeping the kids engaged so they figure that, oh, look, let's go and climb a fence. That might be fun. The area design isn't easy to supervise. I can't spell and it says east to supervise. I do apologise. You were all supposed to pick that up. <laughs> risk of typing quickly there you go Rhonda okay and so what are some of the things that can happen obviously the child could be injured to start with but as, as you were speaking about significant media attention if something goes wrong withdrawal uh, of children from the service and a financial impact so there's all these snowballing things that could happen and when we get to control stage we can put controls in place that will address the source of the risk and we can put controls in place that can address the impact or the outcome of a risk. We can have a media policy, we can, we can have a parent notification policy, we can have all those sorts of things, but it's much better if we can put something in place at the source. So in this activity, I just want you to capture a bunch of ideas down around these strategic risks try not to focus too much on on safety risks because that's sort of going to be the focus of our after morning tea activity so think of those other ones your financial your reputational etc and try and create your your risk so it's it's not just a safety risk if that makes sense okay everybody good with that as an activity let's go. <laughs> Sure. All right. So, I would like to get some examples of uh, some of the risks that we've um, we've identified. I've heard some really good examples as I've walked around. So, who'd like to give me an example of an asset risk? I think you you were talking down this table. You want to share that with people, please? No, you you guys at the front here. Yes, (laughs) your your fence. Um, So, in the
7: playground that we use for the senior Um, group, the fence the like big black fence that goes around the perimeter, a part was broken by the storm in like January so it happened a while ago and like in the broken part there's like sharp metal and just it's very low so any child could escape and then a month later they put up a temporary fence but because it's not our fence it's the school's fence we can't really do anything about fixing it so, it's just sort of
1: something we have to manage on the daily. Yeah. Hmm. So, I think that's, to me, a really good example of where context affects our ability to manage risk. So, if you are the out-of-school hours care uh, group and you do not own the school that you have uh, your, your students working in or your students playing in, how are you going to manage that risk? Now, obviously... There is a dialogue with the school. If you feel that there is a significant residual risk there after they have done treatment, you need to be able to speak to the school and that's where that communication comes in to say say there is still a risk. And perhaps the school has assessed the risk. Perhaps the school thinks that the risk is low enough. But that's where your risk assessment comes in. So at the moment, we've identified... That there is a significant risk, someone's done something about it, but from your out-of-school-hours care perspective, it isn't enough. That's where we need to assess the risk and say, hey, um, you know, how can we work together with the school on that? So that's a good example. Okay, thanks. All right, um, what about an environmental risk? We had uh, you were talking environmental risk up the back here
3: uh where the centres are flashed as to where the priority of um, strategic planning is done. For instance one of our services is in a rural area. So there high is in the summertime it's bushfire. But if we get our in the city services, um are high risk of their child stage the in roads and things like that, so positioning the way that people use to managing the risks.
1: Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. All right. So, would you like to share a risk? I appear to be going around the round the room here. I'm going to get everybody to share one now. The back table up here. What have you got for a risk? Um, one of
2: the risks we identified was uh, an educator harming a child. So, some contributing factors could be there. The educator's well-being was impacted. There was a lack of training and support on induction around mandatory reporting, reporting conduct, expectations around working with children. There could have been some. Screening or recruitment issues, or potentially even the um, <clears throat> the environment layout. So it could have been an educator working independently in a room with you know with a, a certain number of children. So these could have been some of the contributing factors to that. And we identified that there could of course be injury, harm to the child, either emotional or physical, um, which could result in of course. Uh, media or, or legal action, um, reputation, of damage or registry of, the sort of
1: decisions. Um, yeah, so. Okay, terrific. Thank you. Alright, this uh, table up here. Well, what have you got to share with us? Uh, one of
8: the risks we identified at our centre, which is out of date experience, because every week we do community walks and uh, we, we walk to the cafes for the baby tuners. It can be a trip hazard for the children and injury hazards like physically, emotionally, and it could be dehydration. And who was also thinking of losing a child too, and sedate flight or animal heat because we go to the Oakley Hill Reserve. And it can impact on our reputation, losing our reputation in the community, and trust of parents, and also health and safety issues.
6: Okay,
1: good, thanks. All right, to uh, group at the back here.
3: Yeah. Um, so we looked at business operations, so if the service shut down because of staffing.
1: Perfect. Um, okay.
3: Which could have happened because of infectious disease, recruitment issues, or a compliance issue that shuts us down. Um, obviously, the impact of that is financial and reputational, but it also affects future tenders that you want to apply for. Um, any further recruitment that you're going to undertake um, which links in with the reputation, nobody's going to want to come and work with you if they know that you've got shut down for compliance issues, mm-hmm. um, but also workers' on for stress and mental well-being due to the shutdown.
1: Great. Right. So, you. yeah, you're really showing that flow on through a number of those, those risk categories. Okay, thank you. All right, the group in the middle here... Your, your group, what, what can you share with us?
3: So, we looked at staffing in terms of retention, qualifications, and absences, impacted uh, largely at the moment by COVID, uh, low pay, high responsibility, and risk. Um, the number of approved services in the area make, can make it difficult to keep staff at your centre if there are other centres nearby that are willing to offer better rates or more support. Mm-hmm. Um, lack of benefits in some cases. So a few of us work in the city and we all have to pay for parking, which if you're working further out in the city, you don't necessarily have to do. Um, and then the impact and outcome, being unable to meet ratios, having to close rooms because of COVID, um, staff leaving or parent leaving, Places that will wave gap
1: fees or have better reception staff. Okay, fantastic. All right, thank you. That's, that's a really good example. Okay, coming down to the table here.
4: What, what would oh, you sure. like? Um, we spoke about um, uh, for, uh, building security. So, um, the example that I had is I work for a not
7: for profit, the ACT government owns our building. Um, And in recent history, uh, the ACT government wanted to remove us from our building for the land that we were on, which is a pretty good spot. Um, And I I guess for us that can still happen at any time. So we fought really hard and we kept our building, but that is a consistent risk for us that we could lose our building. Right. We could be relocated, but we don't have much say in that unless we uh, went branched out on our own independently Um, and so that would have a a huge we'd need a lot of financial Mm -hmm. income behind us but we're a not for profit Um,
1: yes there's a there's a big uh, way up as peppercorn rent is fabulous um, while you're in a space that you're happy with and and and, uh, everything's fine but uh, the ability to be moved out of that into another area is very definitely a risk. So thank you for capturing that. Oh, good. All right, what have we got at the front table here?
5: Oh, I just I probably would want to just more ask a question we have Red Hill Reserve located near our um, service, and our junior pre and senior pre kids use it quite often for a bush kidney program. And I think you may, I, sorry, I wasn't sure if you made mention of yesterday or there was another lady about if we should be getting arborists in to check the trees up because obviously it's a bit... And I know, obviously, the unfortunate um, incident that had happened to a school-aged child I think, last year or the year before, but, um, yeah, I'm not sure how we would sort of further look at assessing and negating and mitigating risk without...
1: Mm. And it's it's always a difficult thing when you are in an area that you do not own that you do not control, um, your ability to manage that risk comes much more down to an administrative level. If the trees are on your property and your children are regularly climbing those trees and you see that as a definite part of your outdoor play experience, then possibly it is worth having an arborist. Look, if you are taking the children for a nature walk you are back to those administrative controls of supervision and understanding the children's abilities, managing that on a very uh, um, individual and and manual level. So you cannot control things that you do not own, and I think this group in particular has a lot of that uh, associated with your uh, community preschools, your out-of-school hours care, you're all in facilities where you don't necessarily own the premises. So, so, yeah, that's very much a part of your context. How do I control risks wherever I am? And I know in the um, primary and high school education area, their biggest risks are when they take students on excursions because they don't control the centres and they can't control every risk. So supervision is very much your biggest control when you are outside of your centre doing any activity. So that's where you really need to do specific risk assessments for each activity to say, all right, where are we going? What are we likely to be doing? Are we in summer? Are we in winter? What are our Different hazards associated with that planned activity. So so you can treat your risks quite differently within your control, within your service centre, to when you're going outside. Okay, so what we might do now is um, break for morning tea. We're a little bit later than I expected, so I might ask you if you can come back at, say, five past 11. then we can continue on with our activities. Now, what I would like to do is mix things up a little bit um, so that you've got some different conversations going. So um, I'm hoping that uh, you all read the scenarios. For the couple of people who weren't here yesterday, please come over and we can give you uh, a set of the scenarios. They shouldn't take you more than five minutes to read, hopefully. Now, there were three scenarios. There was one... Regarding um, the first one's outdoor play, is so yes, the first one is playground equipment. So if you are interested in working on the scenario with playground equipment, I might get you to come to the three tables on the far side. So this is going to be scenario one, scenario two, which is the um, the food allergies. So these sort of middle tables here. And scenario three, which is the sexualised behaviour over this side. Now, I'd like ideally to get sort of similar numbers on table so we've got that good discussion again. So, if you find you're the only one in a particular area, encourage some friends to join you. But uh, please go and enjoy your morning tea and we'll see you back shortly. All right, so what we're going to do now, as I said, is we're going to focus on those three scenarios, but... Uh, at the end of each activity, I will uh, get groups to um, give a bit of a, a talk, uh, as, as we've done previously, just to make sure that while you're focusing on one scenario, you're still going to hear information about all of them, which will help us all. So what we're going to do at the moment is, um, starting off that scenario, we're going to do, in a little bit more detail, a similar thing to what we did in the previous one, last Last um, activity, we were looking at that uh, higher strategic level, and we captured some fantastic strategic risks for, across the group, so thank you for that. So this one, we're going to focus in on your scenario, so feel free to spend a little bit of time reading your page again if you need to. And what I'd like you to do as a group is to um, discuss the risks, so, so this is... This is uh, the whole of the scenario piece that I've got up on screen. So, our first piece, we're going to assess the risks. Then we're going to look at our controls and whether they're adequate. Then we're going to look at some treatments. And then we're going to look at monitoring. So, we're going to have four little sessions. So, we've only got uh, an hour 20 to do that. So, we'll just have about 10 minutes per session and then a little follow-up. And hopefully, uh, we'll get there on (laughs) time. Okay. So... So there are our, those are our steps. So the first one, the the um, so we're looking at page six of your workbook. So this page looks the same as the one you did before, but what I want you to do is focus very specifically on your scenarios. So hopefully you'll be able to see one or two risks on your scenarios, so please feel free to draw from what you heard yesterday. Uh, you've got resources on your tables to help you when we move to the control stage, um, for the those with the sexualized behaviour, the um, uh, you can certainly use your traffic lights to help you to identify where you think the behaviour in the scenario sits on the traffic light system. So I'd love to hear that um, when you've finished. Um, So, yeah, I'll just give you 10 minutes to go through. Think about your specific scenario and think about what risks there are that you can identify, please. Excuse me, everybody. I'm just going to grab your attention for a minute, please. Um, One thing I want to be a little bit clear on in this one is you have in front of you scenarios that have happened. What we're focusing here on is looking at the risk of that happening. So we're trying to essentially do a preventive exercise for next time. So when you're recording the risk, what we're looking for is that language of failure to keep... uh, You know, failure to uh, provide food segregation, failure to, you know, provide safe playground equipment, that sort of thing. So... So that's kind of the language in your risk piece, and then we're looking for what are the causes of that. Was it supervision? Was it um, design? All of those sorts of things. So failure to provide, inability to, that's kind of the language in the risk space, okay? Okay, everybody. I'm going to bring you back together again. So...
3: All right, how did we find that exercise?
8: It's
1: a bit difficult sometimes to work out exactly what's the cause, what's the effect, particularly when you've got a scenario in front of you where it's already happened. All right, so I'd like to uh, get an example from each table of what you've found as a risk and what, what you saw as your, um, um, your source and your outcome. So maybe we run around. We, we went this way last time, so would you maybe start for here?
8: Um, We had a scenario about playground equipment and children using um, as a fort for a fire um, station, um, and a child fell down a pole, three children hurt themselves. Um, The description of the risk is injury to children, the source was the supervision, design of the playground, and whether or not a risk assessment
1: had been done. So I've had a couple of discussions on this. Be um, just be really mindful, particularly in in sort of a, a leadership role, of saying the number one source of an um, an incident was lack of supervision. Because as soon as you say that, you are saying that my administrative controls of my um, my. People supervising in the centres or by educators, that's my primary control. So, we really need to be looking where we can at um, our engineering control. So, just when you are doing risk assessments in your centres, and you remember um, in that diagram, communication is a big part. If your communication, when you've done your risk assessment, shows that the number one cause of the incident that occurred was lack of supervision, guys. It's all your fault. Okay? Now, I am definitely not saying that supervision is not a really, really important control. It absolutely is. But just be aware of how that might come across. If you've done a risk assessment and you're then communicating it to staff, and the first thing that they see is, oh, lack of supervision. Okay, well, we didn't have enough staff on the day. What do you want me to do? So... Um, You know, it's it's a really delicate balance. I know that supervision was a very big part of this this scenario, but just think about the way you might want to put that when you are talking to staff. Make them feel that they are an incredibly (coughs) important part of the process, but they are not the only control that you have for a risk. Okay. thank you. Well, what have you go? You
4: had the same scenario? But- we did. So we actually, um, we listed a number of risks. So we talked about, well, in this scenario, there was a bit of debate on our table whether it's a fall from heights because the pole is to be utilised to actually get down. And if you've got hold of it, you're in control, and therefore it's not considered a fall when you stumble at the bottom. Um, however, given that it is a pole that's accessible for children, and while it's not in this scenario, we do identify that a fall from heights is a possible risk to the use of the, the equipment in this way. Um, a fall from heights um, uh, become impacted further by the placement of the garden bed being in the fall zone, the different age and ability and access to children, um, the pole's in the corner and therefore not in a uh, well placed strategic um, supervision zone. Um, we did highlight that, that supervision in this instance was inadequate. Um, we also talked about, we feel there's a bit of a failure to assess the risk and put inadequate controls around this. It seems like the children were just able to, um, you know, decide how that worked. And it might be something in particular with this age group, you might want to sit down with the children and talk about some rules around how, how you're going to enact this play. Um, there was a compliance risk to injury to the child and there was um, a failure to provide safe uh, play equipment uh, in relation to the location of the garden bed on the environment. So um, we talked about the source, the source being around the location of the garden bed, again, the different age and ability, supervision. Um, there was a mention of scattered softball, so we had some concerns around whether adequate softball was um, provided and that should be assessed. Um, a little bit, we talked a little bit about learning environment planning, um, and in that if it's safety checking, so as to whether that soft, the, the software should have, whether it be a mm-hmm. tan bar, we're because it's scattered, it's probably a tan bar the system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'd be looking at whether the safety checks were completed, whether it was ranked, whether it was the right density. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: from what you're sort of saying there, while the, the primary piece um, is we didn't have supervision around, around the back to see that. Our educators were set up to fail. We didn't design the location so that they could see it while still seeing others. We didn't design the location so that when they came down, they couldn't put the, the head on the garden bed. So, so we've we really got to think about the way we're designing things for our educators to be able to see Okay, great. Thanks. <coughs> so, okay, tables. All right. So now we've got our allergy scenarios. Would you like to start us off with the cuttings? Sure. So the risk was that the child
3: was given the wrong food that they then had a reaction to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we saw the drivers of the risk being a failure to communicate the risk of allergies to the cows staff from the person who took the there was a lack of communication, I would assume, in the kitchen as a handover for the person who works as a cook um, to say that they identify this child in this way for this reason. Um, shows a need for consistent procedures for allergy identification across the service. So it does mention in the scenario that all of the children have different colored goals. But there's just one orange bowl, and how would any person just filling in the role know that there are not other orange bowls? How do the children know that, <coughs> that that child has an orange bowl because they have an allergy? Has that been a discussion in the past? So it shows a need then for education and discussion with the children and with the staff members. Um, shows a lack of effective and relevant training for all staff. Mm-hmm. That there should be some type of an induction for the casual stuff in the room or into the room about allergies in the room. Yeah.
1: Um, We've jumped very well into the control space. That's, that's a fun bit of the risk assessment, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's the next one. Well, I <laughs> that's, mean, that's
3: terrific. We were looking at what, like, how does this happen? Right? And if it's all casual stuff, then there hasn't been a handover.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, seeing as we've got several tables on allergies. I, I'll give someone else a chance to give some some other ideas. <laughs> You've covered it very very well, though. Um, so group <laughs> behind you. How did you go? Um, we had um, that one
3: too, but we had the risk management plan. That's a reason because that's not up to date and that hasn't been reviewed for a year and a half. Yep. So. Um, we were saying that they haven't been back to the pediatrician or the doctor to get an updated allergy plan in that time. The medications, if they needed that, were um, not updated. And then that impacts staff as well because they don't know um, the new procedures or the policies that that child might need. Um, and then obviously that impacts on the child and their health. and impacts on parents losing
5: trust in, in educators as well.
1: Very good, okay, thank you. Now, um, up the back, were you doing the sexualised behaviour or were you doing, yep. you were doing that one? You guys here were doing allergies? Allergies, okay, well I'll let you go
7: next um, So I actually do our medical stuff at my work. So with this, our risk is obviously failing compliance. So if they got assessment and rating, they would fail that part because they're, um, Medical plans all need to be more up to date than that. And, like, when they're getting assessment rating, having several changes in nominated supervisor would it be an excuse because it's the child's health and safety that's at risk. Um, so, that would be a big risk, as well as staff induction, which I'm pretty sure has been mentioned. Like, at my work, we make it clear that the staff need to read these risk minimization plans so they know which children. Have allergies, have medical conditions, and it's like not just up to them to find out through the children. Like they need to be given the documents to read when they start before they start working with those children. Mm-hmm.
3: Yes, and right. before we go, and thing is, like um, displaying of
1: because nowhere it doesn't really say that it's displayed anywhere. Um, so that's the... Absolutely okay. Thank you. All right, so we've got quite a lot in the allergy space. Which is great. I think, uh, thank you very much to the team over here for creating the scenarios. They were not um, uh, based on any events that have been seen by, by our team here. Um, they, they were fictitious, but I hope that they were uh, um, close enough that, that you can all relate to them. All right, let's talk about the sexualised behaviour. So we'll uh, get an example from the group at the back.
2: In terms of the, the risks that we identified, um, we, so it was obviously the harmful sexualised behaviours and also a failure to report um, behaviours that were being observed in the space of the mm-hmm. okay. So, um, in terms of the contributing factors for the harmful sexual, sexualised behaviours, there was um, potentially inadequate <coughs> supervision. Um, a lack of educator awareness of child protection and, and maybe a lack of, uh, you know, behaviours in programs to help support um, children who may be experiencing um, certain issues. So, I think we policy and procedures that would um, support with that. And um, similar outcomes for the failing to report. So, policies and procedures around reporting incidents how to document these scenarios. Educators know what and when to document um, knowledge of child protection. Yeah. So, in terms of the um, outcomes for these, there uh, there could of course be um, harm to the child. You know, the child subject to uh, displaying the behaviour, also the child that has been you know, uh, that exposed to the child. You know, that. So there could be. Um, that three administrative decisions um, based, based on what's happened. Um, uh, also, there is a failure to report there could be a lack of intervention for a those children's services. Um, so.
1: Okay, good, thank you. All right, so table over here. Um, what can you add? To some very similar
3: sort of things, we can sort of also look at things like the play area, so too
1: large for the number of staff. One um, you to get 22 one staff. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Also, um, in
3: effect, staff
1: communication. So, mm-hmm. Communication you know, is they the they big were, thing. Yeah, the staff meeting
3: was held by Mm-hmm.
1: OK, thank you. All right. We got anything to add? It's always difficult being the last group. I'll make you the first group next time.
6: <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, I think primarily for, for us, we were kind of just the, the failure the, you know, and lack of education for the children as well as the educators. Mm-hmm. Like they're saying is that if if you have highly competent educators, regardless of where they fit within the service itself, to then be able to confidently teach children, you know, my body is my body, you know, I have the right to be safe all the time. Nothing is so bad that we can't talk about it. You know, if you're in a situation where you feel unsafe, you can. Yell really, really loudly, and we'll come straight there. So, say more education around at all, that was including families, too. But if you're going for your stakeholders, doing the education part, preempting it, then hopefully, at least if the situation shows up, everyone's a little bit more confident to act quickly rather than not.
1: Definitely. Okay, well, thank you for that. So, I think we've all done. A great job of uh, looking at those scenarios so the next piece that we're going to go through um, you've all got this um, piece at the back of your um, of your uh, workbooks so this is the ACTIA risk assessment table now your next activity is going to be looking at what are the controls we already have in place that you can see in the scenario And based on that, I want you to look at the consequence and the likelihood. Now, in this case, obviously, we have already had an incident. So our likelihood, well, it's it's happened. But what we're looking at is the likelihood of it potentially happening again based on what we already have in place. we also want to look at the severity. How bad is it? Now, for those who are doing the sexualised behaviour area, You have that um, lovely traffic light system that Dr Little provided yesterday, so I'd like you to have a look at that and see where you think it sits in that particular um, model. And based on that, then you can work out, okay, well, what is my severity? And it's important to look at our consequence first because if we look at the likelihood, the likelihood of what? The likelihood of the um, the service shutting down due to reputational damage? Is it the likelihood of the child uh, having an anaphylactic reaction? You need to work out what it is. So that's where it comes back to the bad thing that happens. So I am assessing the consequence associated with the risk I have identified. So I want you to have a little look at um, this Actia matrix, Now it may not be perfect for the childcare setting, it is created for the ACT government, but certainly in the people category, it will talk specifically about um, injuries and that sort of thing. So I want you to spend a few minutes looking at, on the next page, the examples that you've already done, the risks that you've already done, the consequences that are already in place. So we're looking for a current risk rating with the way that things are now in the scenario, so you've already talked about a lot of the great things that you think should be done. We'll capture those in the next one. So we're just going to have a few minutes to have a go at looking at our consequence and likelihood. Oh, so in fact, that's the, that's the, that's the other thing I, I've realised on here, there's a control yeah, effectiveness that's rating. That's so that's on that's your that's um, that's on your piece on the back, it talks about. Um, whether controls are adequate, in need of improvement, or pretty much non-existent. So you can have a look at some of the controls that you've got in place and and, uh, make some thoughts about that. So that's on on the big picture table as well. That was probably the most difficult part of what we're doing today is actually trying to rate a risk. And I think uh, for the middle group here... um, and I think perhaps for this group over here, the, the actual bad thing that happened wasn't that bad. You know, going, um, being off for a couple of days after after being exposed to uh, some some cheese. You know, in, in the scheme of things, it's not that bad. But based on yesterday's um, uh, discussions that that were had, if it, if the uh, Child who, if we applied the same controls to a child with a peanut allergy and another child swapped bowls, we could have an anaphylactic reaction there. So, so it's really quite difficult to assess based on I've got a scenario here and okay, it wasn't too bad, but what if? If I've got other kids in my centre who have much worse allergies, it could have been significantly worse. And what we're trying to do in any risk assessment is to look at, well, this is what's happened. What is the most reasonable, likely consequence for me? So if in your centre you don't have any kids who have anaphylactic reactions, you've got a few who have intolerances and we manage those, then probably the controls that you've got in place... I know they weren't... I know they weren't effective, but they're not going to kill anybody. And that's what we need to think about, is how much money are we going to spend to put in controls based on our cohort of students or of of, uh, children? And is that a robust set of controls if things change? So... At the moment, the centre's got a bunch of kids with some allergies, but none of them are serious. But then tomorrow, I'm bringing in a child who has anaphylaxis, and I'm using the same controls. I need to redo my risk assessment. So if you want your service to be robust to a broader range of um, abilities, you need to be thinking about your risk assessments and whether... Um, whether your controls are robust enough for a broader range. So I might uh, move us on uh, to the next control section quickly, um, so that we get things done. We won't have too much of a discussion on this one, and we'll we can capture both both things together in the next session. So when we're talking about controlling risk, and I I brought this one up yesterday. <coughs> Sorry, there we go. Uh, <laughs> I fixed my animations on day one, but not day two. Sorry about that. So, our hierarchy of controls is uh, very applicable when we're talking about the safety context that we've got in all three of these scenarios. And what we're trying to do is to eliminate hazards before we rely on our supervision down the bottom. So, for those with the playground scenario... When supervision is our primary method of of controlling, how did we rate our controls in the last thing? Were they effective or not effective? Not effective. And what about in our sexualised behaviour? How did we think our controls were in the scenario? Not Not existent. Because we were relying on supervision and the supervisor's playgrounds were not designed To to see effectively. So what we want to do is try and sit in this prevention space. Try and think about controls that will prevent the the hazard from occurring rather than our response and recovery. So in our traffic light scenario over here, um, there are lots of things that we can do for children... uh, who are displaying behaviors, but what we want to do is sit in that prevention space to say, all right, well, how do we um, how do we talk to families? How do we talk to children so that they understand what is and what isn't appropriate before we get to the stage where we've got children displaying those behaviours? So our next session, we are going to look at our potential treatments. And I know that you've already been having these discussions around the table, so I'm hoping you can capture a lot of those quite quickly. So if you think about all of the causes that you wrote down as the um, uh, as the, the cause of the risk, and most of them were lack of supervision, lack of this, that and the other, flip those around. These are the treatments that we want to start using. So you... Um, you got a lot of great information yesterday from all of those uh, fabulous presenters, so think about some of the controls they were talking about, whether it be more training, whether it be different design and that sort of thing. And I know that you are constrained by your facility context, particularly in your playground design, but it certainly doesn't stop you from having a discussion with the school owners to say, hey... We are seeing this risk in after-school care. Can we have a discussion about different ways? We've just been on a training course. Hey, come and help us out. So, the, um, where's the lady who's got the broken fence? Go and have a discussion with the school. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to let you have a few minutes to look about, look at what treatments you can implement. So, this is the fun bit. And when you've done those treatments... If you have a look on the right-hand side again and see if you can redo your consequence and likelihood, and I want to see that we have reduced our um, uh, our problem issues. The, the other thing here to capture, the cause or the effect is what you're doing, managing cause or effect. See if you can get one that does both cause and effect.
6: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
1: you can you can sit down and join the discussion. Okay, everybody. I'm I'm very aware of time.
4: We're running a little bit, um, a little bit behind where I want
1: to be. Have we all found one uh, one way that we could reduce our risk? Anybody want to give me an example of how they have? Reduce the risk and tell me whether it's managed cause or effect?
6: Education, education, education.
1: Okay. Education, education, education for whom?
6: For every single stakeholder that has anything to do with the service. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yep. And I think in, in the sexualised behaviour, um, that is that is a huge part of it. Okay. Yeah. And so do you think that educating your children will reduce, will manage cause or effect? Sure. What are you educating them in?
6: As I say, in body safety, body awareness, you know, private areas are private, mm-hmm. you know, like the whole, you know, my body's my body, my underpants rule, all the kind of good messages that come through mm-hmm. those amazing books, I like you know, to teach in a way that is developmentally appropriate.
1: So so in teaching children about their bodies and and about what is acceptable, one would hope that it is going to stop them displaying the wrong behaviour or the behaviour we don't want to see in the centre, yeah? So I would say that's managing our cause. But if we also teach the children to, um, to report, to tell you, If something's happened that they're uncomfortable with, that is managing the effect, yeah?
4: Yep. Okay,
1: good. All right, so can we have an example from uh, the group that had the allergy uh, issue? How did we reduce um, our our risk there? Um, I guess creating a more in-depth policy um,
6: and having that updated or reviewed... Um, more regularly with all stakeholders, not just the management. So in this case like there was a different um, nominated supervisor that just started. So um, if all educators are a part of creating these policies they're going to have a more understanding and they're going to have, they're, they're going to take on
3: more responsibility as well because they're a part of that. And, um, and
1: Terrific. Okay, so that's that's good. So, okay. And uh, so, is that going to be managing our cause or effect? Um, it could be maybe, but I think more
6: effect, possibly.
1: More effect. So, so we're we're looking at the effect of reducing uh, reducing the risk of a child being given the wrong the wrong food. Yep. So. I think it's more likely to reduce our, our cause because what we want to do is stop them getting the wrong food. So effect is, is training around, right, child's been given the wrong food. What do we do? Do we call the parents? Do we call um, you know, a doctor? Do we uh, administer an EpiPen? So that's, that's the effect side. So as I said before, we really want to stay on that cause side because we want to stop it from happening again not just to to treat it. Because there are an awful lot of things that we have in place from an incident management perspective. We all know the steps we have to take and who we need to contact and all that sort of thing. But the whole idea is to, to stay on that first, first side. So from a reducing consequence and likelihood perspective, is uh, having a good policy and training our staff going to reduce the consequence of the child getting the wrong food or is it going to reduce the likelihood of them being given the wrong food? The likelihood. The likelihood. absolutely. It is often easier to reduce likelihood than consequence. Yep, okay. All right, and, and an example from our playground scenario. Folks, right. you'd like to give me, what have you done to reduce the risk?
0: Yeah, um, so with so our risk is still the fall from heights. Um, the number one potential treatment we came up with is we just eliminate the garden bed in the fall zone. Thank
6: you. Really
0: nice and easy. Um, <laughs> manages the effect. so they're still going to fall from things, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then the, the consequence of the injury is a lot lower with the garden bed being removed because they're on softball rather than a
3: hard edge. Mm-hmm.
1: So in this case, if we are talking about out of school hours care, we have a shared risk with the school, don't we? So how much control do we as after school um, managers have in getting that garden bed changed?
8: Hence
0: how that risk is reported. Absolutely,
1: so, so I can tell you that the school has similar risk registers to what you guys need. I've worked with the uh, schools. There are 96 risk registers for schools that I'm about to upload into a brand-new system, blah, blah, blah. So from their perspective, if you, in after-school care, report a risk that you have seen associated with playground equipment, they absolutely have a duty of care to fix that risk because while the students that you have may be um, exposed to that for an hour after school, they're exposed to the same risk in the playground every day. So that communication piece is absolutely (coughs) critical. And as I said, they are under the same um, regulatory requirements. So do not think that reporting a risk can't get it fixed. Okay, so control effectiveness. This is where... I want you to come back up to your management level roles. We've been down looking at how we can uh, improve things for our educators. Now we're going to have a very quick look at uh, from the management perspective. So, how many of you here have a quality hat in your organisation? Yep, quite a lot of you. So, in 2015, the International Standard for Quality Management was changed. It previously had all these good things you needed to do to achieve quality. In 2015, it jumped right back up the front and said, step one, what do you do? What's your context? Step two, what are your risks associated with achieving that? Step three, put in a quality system to manage them. So that's that's ISO 9000 very broadly. So what I want to, to look at now is whether it's the controls that were existing or the treatments that you have just decided on, let's have a think about, just write down a couple of controls or treatments that you've been working on through the scenario. And I want you to tell me, what will tell us, if the risk is eventuating, what will tell us that the control we've just put in is effective? So if our brand new control for allergies is a new policy, How do you know that that policy is being followed? Is it because Sean's team comes in and says, I can't see you've been following it? Is it a report that you get? Is it an internal assurance activity that you have? So just one or two lines. See what you can come up with because this is your beef, those of you who put up your hands as quality. You need to know that the controls you have just determined are going to be effective are actually being used. OK, I'll give you a few minutes on that one. OK, folks, we're a little bit over time and I do apologise for that. So I just want to do one really quick follow-up. Um, please, if you do need to leave, feel, feel free to go. We've got maybe five minutes to go. Um, so, yeah, does anyone want to just uh, share with the group one quick example from each area? So... What have we done to, um, uh, yeah, uh, what's going to tell us the risk is eventuating and uh, what's going to tell us, or, or what controls have we got to tell us, that, or sorry, what monitoring have we got? Who wants to start? Don't all jump at once. We've only got five minutes. Come on, guys.
6: you hear the language <laughs> with children. They they will use common language straight up without questioning it, and it'll they'll hold themselves accountable. They'll hold their peers accountable. They they have that highly articulate child that will catch their mum and or dad or you know carer out by saying the wrong word for a private area. Mm-hmm. It'll just become common language.
1: Okay, that's great. So that's that's certainly what will tell us the control is being followed. Um, so. What was What's going to tell us that um, the risk of, of um, sexualised behaviour has eventuated? Number of incident reports? That would be what I would be expecting if I was the manager of a facility. Have there been any incident reports this year on sexualised behaviour? Hopefully the answer is zero. <laughs> Hopefully... Same thing in in your allergy space, my key risk indicator for the number of children who have had a reaction to food while in our centre, hopefully my number is zero. But we had some really great supporting uh, information in the space of um, what what reporting we're going to get. So... uh, this group over here, you shared with me some really good pieces around training and that sort of stuff. Do you
8: want to share those? What? for that. it um, say? Well, the same of sort of primary control is fix the fall zone, get rid of the garden bed, and make sure it's actually a safe area. But well, we also said a sort of secondary control was teaching the children about coming down fire pole and landing. Um, yeah.
1: And how are we going to... Uh, what was going, there, to what rest- was going to tell me as a regulator that you've had that discussion <coughs> with the children? Uh, we would all
8: obviously um, record it in the day book or in the program. Uh, we might get the children to do um, a risk um, assessment. You know, the children's one that's come, seek and keep up with the risk assessment. So there's documentation around who's done it and what the conference were another.
1: Terrific, yes. Yeah. So if, if I come back to the fact that this this session is being put on by your wonderful regulatory group here and we think about at the end of the day, we've done a risk assessment, we've done the great things, how are we going to prove that we have communicated that? That was that big uh, left-hand side of our, our thing, communication. Our, uh, our logs, our um, children's records, that sort of thing, they're all great examples of of how we have, um, uh, you know, what reports, A, we can give to the regulator, but B, you as people in charge of facilities can hand on heart say, I know my team are managing the risk. (coughs) Excuse me. All right, so so, uh, a couple of final steps I'm going to hand back over to Sean who can talk very briefly about what you might want to do to implement in your service and what this team's ex- expectations are. Sure.
0: Can I can I firstly ask everybody to give an incredibly warm well uh, thanks to Rhonda Pilgrim. Um, I know that um, as a fr- from the regulatory authority's point of view, we've learnt so much working with Rhonda, and this has been a great process for us. And I think um, it's a real opportunity to. Um, improve and step up our, our risk assessment and management. I wanted to, years ago in this room, quite a number of years ago, um, one of the things that we set in our journey as a regulator was that regulatory nirvana for us is a conversation of peers. So in other words, that that the interaction about um, uh, regulated entity and regulators is about having the conversation and improving our understanding together about what exactly we're doing. Because the, the point isn't... We're not interested in the gotcha moments, we're interested in how we actually, um, we, we are interested in children's development and, and we're interested in the outcomes that we all, we all share. So I think the core thing that we would like to get across, which, which Rhonda has emphasised, is that parsing the risk, it's actually assessing the cause. So when these things happen, we, and I want to emphasise, and I know I've said it a million times, the overwhelming majority of incidents that happen to all provider managed, so if we took our list of incidents, our list of incidents, a very small percentage of we actually end up in investigation or audit. So overwhelmingly, majority it's provider managed. So the aim of this is to be in the same space around um, managing risk. So the point the point of having the three subject matters yesterday uh, were, is because we do see an increase in those areas and the, and they're challenging areas and they create a risk that we... Form the view that needs um, better management from us all. And so by doing that, um, having this forum and and, and having uh, Rhonda has been absolutely fantastic because it's really sharpened us all, I think. So we, we encourage you to um, exercise that and document in a way that you can share. So particularly for out-of-school hours care where you're, you're predominantly on sites that you don't manage... Having, it in a, having a risk assessment and, and a, a, a risk management process enables you to have the same conversation with whoever um, is owning and operating the school. And for government schools, we have a service deed where it's an obligation that the school and the service work together, um, and there's actually an agenda in the service deed. So... Those you might know that, but part of our investigation for this, we do look at those minutes and we do see that um, some opportunities have been missed to put the risk issues that a service might see, that the school might see, or that the school might see, but the service doesn't see. It should be a, the same conversation. So that will actually help to reduce the risk because it's, it's a shared conversation about the risk. Um so the other thing um, which we, which Kylie set out in communication at the beginning of this campaign is that we will be doing qualitative audits of um, providers um, over August. So uh, we, it won't be everybody, but we will be doing qualitative audits around your risk um, assessment and management process. It's been an excellent couple of days, and I'd like to... Um, Oh, well, I hope you've had a chance to connect with people you haven't met before and connect with the sector. I know it's been incredibly difficult to have that natural connection amongst the sector in the context of COVID, and hopefully this is the beginning of the resumption of the communication that we would normally <coughs> have. All the materials that have, we've you've seen will be shared with you. Um, we'll be doing a, a podcast um, of, of the material We'll also explore some of the conversations we've been having, like some of the areas around sexualised behaviours and, and some of the things that we've been talking about today. Do we need to do more of an intensive um, piece for that that's um, territory-wide? In the same way, perhaps, as we did as um, the work with the Australian Children's Foundation around their trauma-informed um, training, which um, I think um, has got a lot of really positive feedback. Um I'd like you to—I'd encourage you to—to to have the conversations with your services, with your colleagues about what's happened today, and—and—and and, and monitor the stuff that's coming out that we'll be putting out. Um, and I'd also like to uh, express a deep thanks for ha- um, spending two um, half days with us, and it's really appreciated that you could come. And look forward to seeing you next time, and wish you a safe and happy week. Thank you.